Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC 241, Daniel Cormier versus Stipe Miocic 2, and Shaq is going down this Saturday in Anaheim, California, the rematch for the heavyweight championship. We're going to find out who the baddest man on the planet is once again. This is such a pivotal fight in the heavyweight division. I mean, whoever wins this fight, Stipe wins this fight, he can cement his claim as being the greatest heavyweight of all time. If Cormier wins his fight, then he can claim he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. He's never lost a wrestling match at heavyweight. He's never lost a round at heavyweight. So it's going to be a really good fight. Stipe's, you know, he seems in his feelings a little bit. Cormier seems to be in his head a little bit. You know, uh, hey, look, the guy's got a first-round knockout win over him, so I I, I understand, I guess. But uh, it's going to be a really big fight, man. Uh, I'm interested, interested to see what happens. Man, I just know for a fact it's going to be chaos because historically speaking, when you have a title fight that ended in the first round the first time, the rematch is always nuts, whether it goes the full five-round distance or someone gets finished along the way. I just have a feeling it's going to be a brutal end to that one. And also on the card, the co-man event in the evening, you got the return of Nate Diaz. He's taking on Anthony Showtime Pettis. Uh, you know for a fact that someone's going to have to get really hurt to shoot a takedown in that fight. You got the great kicker versus the great boxer, Showtime Pettis. I mean, Showtime, that's what they call him for a reason. I mean, his wins are usually, oh my God, you know, like his last one against Wonderboy Thompson. I feel like a lot of people aren't giving him enough credit for that win. And Diaz, you know, Diaz is a guy that we really don't see that often. You know, he likes to fight, you know, very sparingly. But hey, when he comes, he brings a big following. He brings it every time. He's very durable. One of the better boxers in MMA. And I'm glad to see him back. I'm glad to see him, you know, not complaining and actually in the cage fighting. Yeah, and you know, he's out here lighting up that Cali grade at the open workouts. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, and also, you got Joel Romero taking on Paulo Costa. Yeah, I mean, this could be a main event on pretty much, uh, you know, any other card, a fight night like that. Uh, Paulo Costa, I mean, I, we haven't seen a guy built like this since Yoel Romero. So I'm interested to see this one. We got old versus young. I mean, these two guys looked like they were made in a lab. And somebody's definitely going to get knocked the fuck out on that one. <laughs> Man, I could keep previewing this card before we get to the actual preview because our top prospect at Featherweight, Sodiq Yusuf's on this card versus the always tough Gabriel Benitez and also uh, Ian Heinish versus Derek Brunson. This is going to be a hell of a card, Shaq. Yeah, 100%. Uh, a lot of guys that have done a lot of good things in this sport. Absolutely. Well, before we get down to business, we just got to let them know you can get our bets at bestfightpicks.com. Make sure you use the promo code Shaq to save 10% off Shaq's individual package. Bestfightpicks.com. And Shaq, let's get right down to business because first up in the flyweight division, we got Sabina Mazo. She's 6-1 and one, and Shayna Dobson is 3-2. and two. Currently, they got Shayna Dobson minus 115 and Sabina Mazo is minus 105. Well, Shaq, I mean, I think uh, we went on record and said that Sabina Mazo uh, was the new Lipsky. She went out there, did nothing as expected. And now in her return, she's got a significant step down in competition from Marina Moroz here in Shayna Dobson. Do you think Sabina Mazo differentiates herself from Lipsky and actually gets her first UFC win? I mean, look, I called her the next Lipsky for a reason, and that was because it seemed like on the local scene that a lot of her fights were super uneventful up up until she would get a knockout win, just like how Lipsky's fights were. They were ugly, Mazo was kind of losing some of those fights. Just not very impressive up until she gets a head king knockout. And like I've said in the past, with Lipsky uh, was getting ready to fight, you know, Meatball Molly. Look, if you're depending on knockouts in, you know, the strawweight, flyweight, bantamweight divisions, <laughs> look, it's probably not going to work out too well. And look, in her fight against Marina Moroz, she was the favorite against the girl with the ring time. And everyone was, you know, making fun of Marina, punching air and making sounds. But look, Marina was a different fighter in that new weight class. She was coming up from 15s to 25. So and she's got that ring time. So and, and I'll tell you what, Sabina Mazo 
looked like a deer in headlights for a good 12 minutes. <laughs> I mean, her face was bloody. She really wasn't doing much. And it's really not that surprising because if you watch her other fights, really nothing much happens up until, you know, these soccer moms with knee pads, you know, duck into a head kick. And this is the UFC now. So I feel like uh, her opponent, Shana Dobson, on the other hand, is also very low level. I mean, when we talk about her wins, we're talking about Ariel Beck and, I mean, and two 0 0 fighters. Yeah, so the, both of these girls are very, very low level. Now, it's interesting to see all this action come against Mazo. And look, I get it. She she fucked, uh, fucked you guys over against uh, Marina Moroz. But Shayna Dobson is nowhere near that level. Shayna Dobson was, I think, the 16 or the 15 seed on that season of Tough, you know. And we saw her fight Lauren Mueller. And she just kept making stupid mistakes. Like, you know, she lost that first round due to Mueller being more aggressive. Then it seems like she's winning the second round. And then she gets hurt really badly to end the second round, and she was losing the third round, too, up until she started hurting Mueller to the body. So Shayna Dobson is also a very low-level fighter. You got two very low-level fighters. It's a 50-50 fight, in my opinion. It's a matter of Mazo can use her jab and her length, and uh, can Shayna, you know, get on the inside and exploit this tall, stiff girl who likes to tilt her chin way up in the air. But it's alarming that Moreau's no offense to Marina Moroz, but like I said with JoJo, look, they can't be giving you tours of the octagon like this, you know what I'm saying? They're supposed to barely edge out a little split, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, they're out here bloodying your face up, and so that's a little alarming to me. I don't know I don't know who has the higher ceiling, but it's a 50-50 fight, but I'll, I'll pick Mazo by split decision. Yeah, I mean, I don't really know either, because with Sabina Mazo, she took such a step up in competition against uh, Marina Moroz last time out. And, you know, we can joke all we want about Marina Moreau's making tennis sounds and, you know, punching the air and this and that. But the reality here is that Marina Moreau's is a fighter that went out there and finished Joanne Calderwood in the first round. Sabina Mazo's never been in there with anything remotely close to that. And honestly, either as Shayna Dobson, man. I mean, Shayna Dobson... Uh, you know, I hate to be like, oh, her best win this, her best win that. Her best wins against Ariel Beck, man. The two wins prior to that were against O&O girls. So I'm just saying, like, it's a complete joke. As far as the, uh, the styles, you know, Dobson's more of a boxer. Mazo's more of a kicker. I think they both got a big weakness on the mat. But what's interesting about this uh, Mazo girl is that, you know, when she fights these soccer moms, you know, nothing happens and a head kick out of nowhere. Well, interestingly enough... Uh, I think this is going to go down like the last time King's MMA fought Lloyd Irvin. And that's with King's MMA getting a knockout win. So I'm going Sabina Mazo here via head kick. But uh, I would not be too confident at the betting window, Shaq. Now next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Brandon Killer B. Davis. He's 10-6. And, and Kyung Ho, Mr. Perfect Kang, is 15-8. and eight. Currently, they got Kyung Ho Kang minus 190. The comeback on Brandon Davis is plus 165. Well... We know for a fact that every single fight Kyung Ho Kang has had in the UFC has been super exciting. Now he's got a willing dance partner, Brandon Davis. You know Brandon Davis will stand and bang with literally anyone. So who do you give the edge to here? Yeah, this fight could definitely be sleeper for fight of the night, Kyung Ho. I mean, most of his fights are typically madness. And, you know, once he gets a willing, uh, you know, partner, it can be fireworks as well. He's gotten fight of the night bonuses as well in the past. So, you know, when I look at Kang, I see a guy four years ago. I mean, this guy was a, a top prospect. You know, that fight over Tanaka was like... Holy shit, this guy's really good. He's big for 135s. I mean, just look at the size. Then he comes back four years later against Guido Canetti, and he finished Guido Canetti in the first round. 
coming off that four-year layoff, and you can definitely see some signs of age. He's 30 years old now. Then he gets a fight against uh, Ricardo Ramos, a young, hungry bantamweight, and you can definitely see he was a little intimidated in that fight. He was definitely backed up a lot. Ricardo got the better of the boxing exchanges in the first two rounds, and in the third round, we saw Kyung Ho's good ground game. Ricardo tends to, you know, slow down a little bit in those late rounds, and he was able to show that he can still somewhat hang with these young guys, and then another sign that he is getting a little older, you know, he, he might not be as durable as he once was and then his fight against Teruto Ishihara you know Teruto Ishihara you know cracked him early in that first round and uh Kyung Ho was able to recover quick you know get that takedown and, and uh expose the guy with no jiu-jitsu so uh now he's fighting Brandon Davis and I'll tell you what Davis had a rough go of it at, at 145 I mean things didn't go his way too often he was he fought the likes as a beat Magomed Sharipov ultimate fighter winner in El Fuerte Barzola you know, um, Kyle Boschniak and Kyle Boschniak, hey, he beat Barzo. <laughs> um, uh, he's going to split with Hakeem Duwadu and stuff, so hey. <laughs> Just facts. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he got the win against Steven Peterson. And a lot of those fights at 145, Brandon would find himself getting really tired. So now he's making the drop to 35, and I feel like that forces him to be in shape. I mean, you check out this guy's Instagram. I mean, we know personally that the guy's running a marathon a week. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So <laughs> straight up. So. You know, I feel like Brandon Davis, you're going to, you know, his fight against uh, Randy Costa definitely, you know, took some big shots in that fight and got wobbled. But look, I feel like it was more due to, you know, him fighting a kid that's never been in the UFC before, who's really nervous and excited at the same time, was about to come out guns blazing, dump his load. We've seen, we've seen fights go like that plenty of times. You know, for example, when Elijah fought that Italian kid and he comes out trying to take his bag, oh my God, Elijah, my, you know, then he gets knocked out. I feel like that's how the fight was. Brandon was in control of the fight, but Randy Costa it hits hard man you know so i wouldn't actually fault uh brandon for that fight it actually shows me that he's very durable and uh at 135 with the conditioning the, the condition that he's in i feel like he's got the durability edge over uh kyung ho kang now what the fight comes down to is what type of fight does kyung ho want to fight you know if he fights smart and you know tries to hug brandon's legs he might get the victory but if he wants to go to a typical war like what he uh generally likes to do i feel like this be might be a 50 50 fight and brandon davis might be the more durable guy the guy that might do better in a war and i feel like uh there's a lot of value on him from a betting perspective i like kyung ho king i definitely see the path to victory but I don't think he can necessarily choke Brandon out. I don't think he can. Got a tough time holding guys down, too. You know, this ain't Teruto Ishihara. You know, this fight with Tanaka, they went back and forth on the man. You know what I'm saying? Brandon's getting better. This is not at 45. This ain't against a Zabit Sheripov or a El Fuerte. I think Brandon gets the upset here, you know. I, I got a lot of respect for Kyung Ho, but I feel like the line's off. Yeah, look, back in 2014, 2013, Kyung Ho Kang had a completely different style than he does now. He was much more of a scrambler a couple of years back. Now he's a brawler, man. His last three fights, I mean, he stands and bangs until one man falls. Now, he does get some takedowns from time to time, but in that Taruto fight, it wasn't until he got dropped that he started shooting, you know? And same thing with uh, the Guido Canetti fight. It wasn't until he got rocked that he, uh, you know, got that body lock takedown there. So, Kyung Ho doesn't just come out shooting. I mean, he likes to stand and bang, and that's the kind of fight Brandon Davis wants. And you alluded to that cardio of Brandon. I mean, look, we saw him fight in Atlanta, Georgia. We saw him. He came to our gym the day before the fight. We saw the kind of shape he was in. Then you fast forward uh, a couple months, and he was actually cornering against one of our guys. Uh, when, when Robert Hale fought Zach Fears at LFA, 
We saw Brandon Davis at the weigh-ins, and dude, the shape he was in back then was already insane. Now fast forward a month or two, and I just feel like Brandon Davis, he's going to start to come into his own here at 135 pounds. And I like Kyung Ho Kang a lot, but he's definitely slowed down because when you look at how many takedowns he used to get in his fights compared to how many he gets now, I mean, it's definitely Wayne, man. It's definitely the numbers have dropped off. There's no doubt about that. It's facts. So... I'm going with Brandon Davis here to knock out Kyung Ho Kang and get the biggest win of his career. Now next up in the strawweight division, we got Hannah Cypher. She's 9-3 and three, and Jody Escabel is 6-5. and five. Currently, they got Hannah Cypher's minus 280. The comeback on Jody Escabel is plus 240. Well, Shaq, they gave Jody Escabel another shot after uh, the massive stun against Jessica Aguilar. But, you know, she somewhat had a little bit of a spirited effort against Angela Hill for the first couple minutes or so. Uh... Do you think she finally gets her first UFC win? Jody probably, like you said, probably should have been cut by now. But, you know, considering the fact that her last fight, she got a late switch uh, from Pinay to Hill. You know, they probably, you know, felt bad for her and gave her another shot against one of their uh, up-and-coming, uh, you know, prospects. And we already know what the gist of this fight is. Jody Escobar, look, she's already got losses to Alex Chambers. Can. Losses to Aguilar. Uh, Jessica Aguilar by 30-27. Um, Yoder, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, so we already, we get the gist of this. You know, Jody's a, I feel like she just does this for fun. Not really to, I'm not saying that she doesn't want to advance herself. Of course, she's coming to win. But it's just, uh, she's really small, man. She's really tiny, 5'1". But the good thing for her here is Hannah Cyphers is also 5'1". So both of these girls are usually used to being severely shorter, like severely shorter than a lot of their opponents. Both of them have trouble getting in on the inside, especially Jody Escobar. I mean, she's already, her punches aren't really hard, and she really is not that very accurate on her punches either. Uh, you know, decent takedown defense, but where this fight comes down to with Cyphers is Cyphers is the same height as her. Same frame, I'd say Cyphers is a little more muscular. She's a farmer, you know. She uh, Her friends are animals, kind of like my boy Bontarine, you know. Those farmers, they got power. Five out of nine, uh, five of nine wins by knockout, which is very impressive for a female. I mean, a straw look, yeah, straw weight. Look, look at those muscles, man. She uh, in her fight with Macy Barber for her UFC debut on short notice. I mean, she was so outsized in that fight. Look, we're seeing Macy Barber having trouble. I mean, she was eating like I forget how fifteen hundred calories a day trying to make straw weight. Now she's at one hundred twenty-five pounds. She was so outsized in that fight, and then she gets to come back against Pollyanna Viana. Now we can say Pollyanna's. A fraud and all, but look, no one told them the line Cyphers plus 200. So. <laughs> so, but you know, I feel like Hannah Cyphers is just more of a I don't want to say a version of Jody, but I want to say younger, uh, bigger frame, a little tougher, more power, and just uh, more hungry. You know, I feel like Jody, uh, when things aren't going away, not that she quits because I do think that she has the heart, but I just think that she can kind of turn into a mummy out there, kind of a little too far on the outside, and she's just swinging these punches that aren't really landing as where Hannah Cyphers, five of nine wins by knockout. She's put girls in the ground before. Her and that girl, Hannah Goldie, had a similar opponent. The girl that Goldie fought on tough, you know, Cyphers knocked that girl out. So Cyphers' power is going to, the rounds might possibly, you know, just be close on volume because Jody does throw a lot, but the power will be the edge. Cyphers will just turn up at the end of the round. So I got Hype Cyphers by 3027. Who would have thought that uh, Jody Escobar would still be in the UFC, but Jag would get cut? You know, after that stunt, after Jody embarrassed one, me. One's fucking Jardine and the other one. True, Jardine did put up some, some great fights. You know? he, he beat Chuck Liddell in Forrest. You know what I'm saying? What else is there to say? But uh, after uh, Jody embarrassed me and made me look really bad, 
Listen, uh, I, I don't I don't pick emotionally, but I will never pick Jodi Esquivel in any fight. I mean, let's just break down uh, her career. She went seven and seven as a boxer, and she's about to go seven and seven as an MMA fighter. Look, Hannah Cyphers, even though we can say what we want about you know our personality, which I actually think it's kind of cool to have like you know someone so humble, so quiet, and this and that in the UFC. She's a farmer, bro. Like, I, I respect <laughs> Hannah Cyphers, but she's going out there. She's got that farmer strength. She's knocking these girls out. Uh, I think she gets her first UFC finish here. Look, I spoke to the air. The air said that Caitlin Chukagan hits a lot harder than Jody Escabel. I, I, I see Hannah Cypress with a left hook KO here. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Manny Bermudez. He's 14-0, and Casey Kenny is 12-1. Currently, they got Manny Bermudez minus 135. The comeback on Casey Kenny is plus 115. Well, I know everyone remembers we cashed that plus 260 in Casey Kenny's UFC debut against Ray Borg. You think he makes it two in a row here against uh, the submission specialist, Manny Bermudez? Yeah, Manny Bermudez is quite the prospect at 135s. Rumor has it that it could have been him that got the Faber fight instead of Ricky Simon. And, you know, that would have been an interesting matchup to see the Bermudez triangle in there. So, you know, we know what Manny brings to the table. Look, if this guy gets you on that mat in the first round, hold your fucking breath because... This guy's about to run you through the series, and not too many guys is probably going to make it through that series. You know, it's going to take a, ser- a serious grappler to get through that series. And, you know, Casey Kinney could arguably be undefeated, man. You know, he's got a draw against Bruno Bulldog Silva, who uh, that I felt that he won. And then, you know, uh, Bruno Bulldog's actually fighting Taha coming up here shortly. And then uh, he fought Adam Antolin on the contender series and got robbed there. So we could be saying Casey Kinney's also uh, 14-0 like Manny. But then he won that robbery against Roman Salazar. <laughs> we don't gotta mention that <laughs> but uh we'll just act like that never happened but uh you know so look i like casey kinney i think casey kinney has a very bright future but from a betting perspective when i see this fight look when you got a specialist like manny bermudez and Casey Kinney's a very good striker. Definitely, I feel like, has the long-term edge on the feet in this matchup against Manny. I know Manny's hands are getting better. I know that uh, he's getting very comfortable throwing his right hand, more and more comfortable. He, he did miss weight, you know, his last fight, a very big guy. But Manny Bermudez is one of those guys where if he gets you on that mat in the first round, and Casey, unless you show signs of not making any mistakes on that mat, you know, that's the only way I could trust you on this matchup, and I like Casey Kinney, but look, you look at his fight against Brandon Roy Vaughn back in the day, you look at his fight against Roman Salazar, look, there were some very, very sketchy moments in triangle and armbar positions, and yes, he got out of them, but what do you think is going to happen if the real guy gets him in there, you know what I'm saying, especially while he's fresh. Now, the only way Kinney can win this fight is if he survives and, you know, makes uh, Manny stay, and we've seen Man stay up on the feet, and we've seen Manny... Look for ways out against Saul Almeida, that is UFC debut against Albert Morales. He was looking for ways out, but the guy chains together these these chokes and these and these uh these scrambles, man, to a point where it's just like <laughs> like Benito Lopez was just like, fuck man, like, <laughs> like I don't know what to do. And so I mean I, I I slightly do lean Manny Bermudez. And you know, generally I would say this is a dog or pass situation, but I actually think the value is on Manny in this spot. You know, he's got the way to win where it could be like this, kind of like similar to a not uh, Ryan Hall. You know, he's not Ryan Hall, but when he's fighting these guys, these uh, these young prospect 35ers that make mistakes on the mat, it's more than likely going to be an easy win for Manny. So I got to go with Manny Bermudez by first round submission. But I respect Casey Kinney a lot. I think he's got a bright future. Beat Ray Borg on four days' notice at plus two sixty for us. 
I wouldn't be shocked if he won, but Manny, the guy's ground game is legit. It's super legit. And what's really interesting about this Manny Bermudez guy is that he's only officially a purple belt. But, matter of fact, you know, Manny Bermudez trains at the gym. You remember Josh Grisby back in the day? Yeah, of course. He trains at the gym that Grisby was training in. So, whatever they, uh, those fucking crazy-ass chokes, you know, before Grisby went off the fucking deep end. Before Dustin. <laughs> yeah, before Dustin. But, you know, these fucking guillotines and these fucking, yeah. So, whatever they're on. So, he's officially a purple belt, but I would say for MMA, he's a black belt. For MMA, look, if he puts on the geese, it's a different story. But for MMA with punches involved, Manny Bermudez has black belt level jits, man. Uh, he uh, gets a hold of someone's neck or their limb, and uh, good night, Irene. You know what I'm saying? You're tapping that mat or going to sleep or getting something ripped off. And, you know, I've been going back and forth on this one. You know, earlier in the week, I was picking Kennedy. I was picking Kenny because I was under the impression that, hey, look, you know, it's sub or bust with Manny. It's so easy to call him sub or bust or this or that. But are you actually going to get past the submission? And... So that was my big question. And I was like, well, you know, Casey's been grappling since he was five. You know, he's... College he, dresser, judo, black belt. All those things. Survive Ray Borg, you know, this and that. But then you see him in these fights with guys like Roman Salazar, the fight right after that. Oh, and bomb. you see these guys getting close on Darces, <laughs> triangles. And it's like, well, fuck. I mean, <laughs> these guys are doing it. What's going to happen when Manny Bermudez gets in there? Uh so I'm actually changing my pick, man. I'm going Manny Bermudez via submission. I saw someone post online, what happens if Manny Bermudez doesn't get a first-round sub? He gets a second-round sub. So I'm going Manny Bermudez here via submission. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Drakkar Close. He's 10-1. And, and Christos Giagos is 17-7. and seven. Currently, they got Drakkar Close, minus 170. The comeback on Christos Giagos is plus 150. Well, Shaq, uh, Christos has made some improvement. Look, he's on a two-fight win streak for the first time in his UFC career. Now he's taking on Drakkar Close, who basically all he does is win for the most part. Do you think Drakkar Close extends it here and gets yeah. another victory? Drakkar's won every fight besides the Tamor fight. And so, you know, sometimes the Tamor fight can be, you know, very tough. We're talking eye gouges. We're talking low blows. We're talking, you know, greasing. <laughs> so, uh, you know, he had a he had a tough night against uh, Tamor. But, you know, Drakkar's a pretty, he's pretty much a straightforward fight a straightforward fighter with a straightforward approach he's gonna throw calf kicks from the outside he's gonna look to bully you against that fence though you know the little uh benson stomps and the you know the benson uh calf kicks on the fence i mean he's got all those type of you know techniques in his arsenal he's a, he's a very good guy against that fence now out in space in the boxing he's a little green still you know he's definitely i don't want to say he's definitely not chinny or anything but he definitely fights with his hands down a little bit from the outside and uh we've seen times in the past where he's gotten tired a little bit and kind of in the like for example in that third round against mark de casey or uh you know specific rounds against bobby green where he's been fully mounted and he's you know looking a little tired but the thing with your car is man he's so tough he's so gritty that he'll dig down deep and he'll generally will himself to these wins and comes back in the late round so now he's fighting uh christos giagos and hey christos pulled off an upset down there in uh sweden his last fight against demir hatovich who was looking like he was getting a lot better and christos shut that down now the thing with christos is he comes out very hard in the first round he swings those big uppercuts and hooks and look, you know, he can definitely have some success early. The thing with Christos is, historically, this guy is a stunt puller in the late rounds, you know. You know, he's got a good, you know, five, six, seven minutes in him. Then he starts to, the hands start to drop. His mouth starts to open. You know, he's got a lot of muscles in that frame. Then he gets a little tired. And then third round is hold your breath moment because look at his last two fights against uh, Pugnus and, and uh, Demir Hatsovich. The Demir one wasn't as bad, but he definitely lost those rounds. He got tired. 
If you do that against Jakar Close, look at Jakar Close's last fight against Bobby Green, what happened in that third round. Jakar turned up when he got fully, after getting fully mounted in the second round and getting smashed on. Jakar turned up in that third round and teed off. And you get tired and Jakar's going to start throwing calf kicks. He's going to start booing you up in that fence. And I feel like Jakar Close is probably going to get this win here, barring he doesn't get caught. So I think Jakar Close is the better fighter all across the board, except in the boxing. But I think as the fight progresses, he can have more success in the boxing. I just think Christos will have success early. You know, he does swing big. He is a... He's, you know, he's a, he's a big boy, you know what I'm saying? So, but I do think Jakar Close is going to get the win here, probably by 29-27, 10-8, round. And I think Jakar Close will, will move on in the lightweight division. You know, Jakar Close is predicting a first-round knockout for this fight. <laughs> he's training at NeuroForce 1. Hey, they, uh, they specialize in first-round knockouts. <laughs> you saw Korean Zombie against Moicano. Even Bobby Moffat. That, that was the best he's ever looked at. I was like, damn, okay. Yeah. Uh, despite him getting robbed, I thought he looked really damn good. Look here with Christos and Jakar Close. Listen, man, uh, I've been sleeping on Christos a little bit, especially in that last fight against Demir. But then when we watched it the other day, it was actually Demir that went out there and pulled a massive stunt to the point where, I mean, the guy was huffing and puffing two minutes in. We were like, oh, my God, Demir. What the fuck, man? Because Christos... You know, the reason we picked Demir in that spot, you see the fight before that against uh, Hirota, and, you know, he's going face first into the mat with these takedown attempts, and he still did that against Demir Hadzovic. But Demir, I mean, the guy the guy had a baby the week before, you know what I'm saying? He's staying up at 4 a.m. every night. But here with uh, Drakkar Close, I think if you start to shoot takedowns face first in the mat against a guy like Close, uh, he will turn up on you. So I'm going to go Drakkar Close via third-round finish here. When, when Christos gets into that, you know, bodybuilder state and he starts, you know, doing the whole bit, uh, I think he's going to be huffing and puffing. I, I think he's going to hit the deck, man. I got Drakkar Close via knockout. Next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Rafael Asunsao. He's 27-6, and, and Corey Sanhagen is 11-1. Currently, they got Corey Sanhagen minus 220. The comeback on Rafael Asunsao is plus 180. Well, Shaq, you're dealing with a guy in Rafael Asunsao who's literally beat the entire top 15 of the Bantamweight division. I mean, we're talking wins over TJ Dillashaw, Marlon Moraes, Pedro Munoz, Rob Font, Aljamain Sterling. We can go on. Even beat Jorge Masvidal back in the day, right? So... Rafael's done everything you can do besides wear a belt in well, this Rafael sport. Rafael this George his first ass whooping as a pro. <laughs> but this kid, Corey Sanhagen, uh, I call him the output king for a reason. Other people consider him to be a future world champion. He was very impressive against John Lineker. Do you think it's first L time inside the UFC here versus Rafael Asuncao? Yeah, like you just said, you know, Rafael Asuncao is one of the greatest bantamweights of all time. You just said his resume. I mean, he's beaten the who's who, uh, former champions, top contenders. So, Rafael Asuncao has had quite the run now. Corey Sanhagen has really had quite the run. I mean, I remember when this guy was making his UFC debut. They said, keep a lookout for this kid. He was TJ's uh, former training partner, and, you know, he... He might be a future world champion. You know, at the time when I heard it, I was like, yeah, you know, yeah okay. But uh, he beat Austin Arnett. <laughs> big whoop, you know? But I mean, the way he beat Arnett, I kept my eyes on him. I was like, man, he just fucking went to his body, had him, uh, you know, fucking on the head first on the canvas, and then they rush him up. And Uriel Contara, people are, and he's dropping a weight class. People are saying, you know, this is a little too much. Like, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And he goes out there, he gets into a terrible position. You know, that would have, and uh, against a lot of other guys, that would have been a classic Yuri Alcantara first round finish. You know, uh, tip, you know I know y'all know those Yuri first round smokings. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, when Yuri gets his first round finish, that's what it looks like. That's what it, it looked like it was going to be. What was that, the little British guy he smoked in the first uh, Oh, there's Phil Harris, Harris too. But no, I'm Will talking Harris. about the kid with the tats on his neck, that beat Nam fan. 
Von Lee, Von, Von Lee. Lee. Yeah, yeah. Go check out Yuri Alcantara <laughs> versus Von Lee. And then check out uh, versus Brad Pickett. You watch Yuri Alcantara versus Ricardo Lamas. Yuri loves beating up on Brits. <laughs> you want to see a man get knocked stiff, go watch Yuri Alcantara versus Ricardo Lamas. Yeah, so they throw him in that fight with Yuri, a big step up. You know, that's how I that's how I see if guys are really who they say they are. You know, these big step up in competitions. So, you know, he gets in that spot with Yuri. I mean, turned into it and absolutely smashed him. The fight was his after that. Then, uh, you know, he was going to fight uh, Tomas Almeida. Thank God that didn't happen. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. If that would have happened. Not a massacre. <laughs> yeah. By the way, let's check if Tomas is still ranked top 15 because uh, yeah, you know these rankings are a fucking joke. You know he's number 15 in the world and his last one was over Albert Morales 100 years ago. <laughs> It's to, to me now, bro. I love Tomas. He's exciting, <laughs> but how the fuck is he ranked? But, uh, you know, he was supposed to fight Almeida. That fell through. And then, uh, you know, he had Mario Bautista, unfortunately, had to take the wrath. And look, a lot of people would be like, uh, Bautista. But look, I'll tell you what. Bautista's a very promising prospect. You see his next fight? <laughs> I mean, he got fight of the night as us fight. Look, that fight let me know Bautista was the real deal because Sanhagen was fucking putting it on him. And he was fucking <laughs> we're talking dropping flying knees like, like flying knees and then the arm bar finish like bautista was overwhelmed to a point he was like oh my god um and then so uh then he gets the fight against john lineker and you know that's another big step up in competition mario bautista ufc entry-level fighter to john lineker former number two fighter in the world we're talking a guy that knocked out mayday mcdonald you know beat john dotson in a five round he was one fight away from a title beat shot rob font you know it was on on EPL when they fought and he broke John's jaw and you know but anyways look that was another big step up in competition and I mean I think he passed that test with flying colors I mean the guy was throwing great time knees up the middle he was going to Lineker's body he was throwing low kicks on Lineker you know these are things that you really don't see happening too often and you know now people are saying a sun is an even bigger step up in competition and, I, and you know I I don't want to say it, but personally, I don't feel like it's that big a step up from, from Lineker. You know, I like a sunset, but when we look at a sunset's past victories, how is he winning most of these fights? By close decision. You know, we're talking, when he fought Aljamain Sterling, was the fight, the fight was just a, a sit-back and counter-fest, and, you know, Aljamain at the time was a little scared to let his hands go. He was coming off the... Uh, the Brian Caraway loss, you know, his confidence was really low. The fight was shit, to be honest. And, you know, a Sun Tau is a little smarter than him. Sterling doesn't throw the output of a Sanhagen. Nowhere near. Nowhere near. He doesn't have the hands of boxing. The switching of the stance, the feints. And then, uh, then you know, his fight against Marlon Marais, he caught Marlon Marais in his debut. And Marlon Marais, I like the guy, big power, but he gets tired. He's chinny. No offense. No offense. Great fighter. But what happens when you historically extend Marlon Marais outside the first round? What happens when you don't get finished by Marlon in the <laughs> first round? What happens when you don't get knocked out by Marlon in the first round? He gets tired and he starts getting dropped. I mean, just look at his entire career. That's just been the case. So look, you know, he was able to get that split decision win. But the fact that Marlon ran through him the way that he did in the rematch, let, let, let me know that Rafael really hasn't been evolving this entire time. He's just been maintaining. And maintaining has been good enough for him to get by these little fights with Rob Font and Matthew Lopez, guys that are no that can, in my opinion can't even bring breathe San Hagen's air. You want to know why? Because I've seen Rob Font have his John Lineker test before, and I saw how the way it went in, in his third UFC fight, just like San Hagen. You know what I'm saying? Old guard. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So uh, I've seen him, you know, pull stunts against Pedro Munoz before. You know, <laughs> um, 
So I feel like Sanhagen has, in my opinion, has solidified himself as a guy living up to this bill. And Rafael Asensio, when you look at the style matchup, he likes to sit back and counter. When these guys stand in front of him and they're a little slow and they're just not on the... I just think Sanhagen's the real deal. I'm sold. I think the kids, the division hasn't seen a guy that can give you this many different looks. In in 15 minutes, in my opinion, it's just going to be too hard to figure out in 15 minutes. We're talking the guy, the guy is switching stances all over the place. You know, his left hooks to the body, his jab, just left hooks to the head, fucking the knees, fucking, you know, his ground game. Look, I feel like a Sunsau, he's either going to have to become the aggressor from the opening bell and I just don't think that's something he does, man. He, he's stuck fighting that way. He's been that fight, that fight, that style has won him, made him a lot of money, man. You know what I'm saying? He's gonna fight that way. I see him. He's doing that camp, this camp at ATT, but at 37 years old, 36 or 37 years old, 37. I don't think that he's gonna be able to maintain his spot in the division. He had his time. Now it's Corey Sanhagen's time. Now we saw that. Look, Rafael really hasn't been evolving. Marlon already caught up to him and blew him out the water. These guys are too young. They're getting better. Unfortunately. I think this is Sanhagen's fight. I think he overwhelms Rafael with the volume. I think he outworks and outclasses Rafael Asuncao. So I got to go with uh, Corey Sanhagen by 30-27, possibly 30-26. Bring up a lot of great points. Obviously, we have a tremendous respect for Rafael Asuncao, his resume, what he's accomplished in the sport, how disciplined his fighting style is, and just the fact that he stayed in the top five for like the last, what, decade? I mean, goddamn, man. I mean, I remember in high school when we watched him in the WEC, you know what I'm saying? So, Rafi's been doing his thing, man, but there's only so long you can stay at the top of a weight class, especially in one of the lower weight classes. You know, if you're 37 years old, a heavyweight, you might just be uh, entering your prime, but 37 at Bantamweight, uh, you better really be something special. And like you mentioned, in these fights with Rob Font where, you know, you throw one, I'll throw yeah, one, yeah, let's go back and forth and this and that. Of course, uh, Hafi is able to go out there, be the more technical guy, outgun you know these young guys and win these decisions. But when you're talking about a guy like Corey Sanhagen who literally has tripled the output almost of Rafael Asuncao, in my opinion, has a wider arsenal of strikes, which is crazy to say. But, I mean, you only see the same few strikes from Rafael. He throws his hook. He throws his leg kick. You know, a couple shots here and there. Whereas, Corey Sanhagen, you're seeing the knees. You're seeing the calf kicks. You're seeing the elbows, the spins, the straight punches, the combos, the stance switching, the teeps, everything, man. He's an artist out there. And what's interesting is that I was always under the impression that Corey was uh, some frat boy and this and that. And I, I didn't take him that seriously when he fought Austin Arnett. But boy, was I woken up when he fought uh, Yuri Alcantara because, you know, I, I thought it was just a situation where, yeah, you know, you can tee off on Austin Arnett, a big whoop. Who hasn't teed off on Austin Arnett? Humberto Bandon. No, but you know what I mean? It was like, who hasn't teed off on Austin Arnett, right? But then you see that fight with Yuri Alcantara and it's like, well, we know he can give it, but can he take it too? Fuck yeah, he can take it too because, I mean, looked like his arm was about to be broken, looked like his face was about to be broken. And it's not like he just barely survived and, you know, you know, got to tell his friends that he made it to the distance. No, this guy survives. Then he's on top of him, pounding him out, gets a TKO win. I was like, oh, shit. Like, this kid might be the real deal. Then he takes on Mario Bautista, who you saw, he just had a fight of the night. And Corey ran through him exactly how you're supposed to run through him, which is under five minutes. Next fight against Lineker. Again, it's like, well, you know, Corey's kind of tall. He might have tall man defense. 
this is the guy that's going to let us know, can he really take it? Is he really a contender or is this just a hype job? Well, shit, I mean, he ate all the shots perfectly fine. He did what Rob Font was supposed to do a million years ago against John Lineker. He did the perfect game plan for John Lineker, and now he gets to step up in competition. Look, with Rafael Asuncao, he's so good at slowing fights down and getting you to fight at his pace, and that's the complete opposite of what Corey Sanhagen does, man. He's just going to out-volume, out-work him, like you said, out-class him, go out there and win this decision, so... I would not be surprised if there was a finish, but since Rafael doesn't take too many risks, I will go with Corey by via decision. I mean, the last time we saw Rafael fight a guy switching stances, uh, UFC 200 didn't go so well. And that's a five foot six uh, <laughs> fraud, you know what I mean? TJ Dillashaw guys, but uh, <laughs> this guy Corey Sandigan, yeah, he's a five foot eleven bantamweight with a seventy one inch reach. So you know, we saw the five foot six H uh, E H midget. Pick apart Rafael Asuncao. Now we're going to see the five foot eleven prodigy, the virtuoso, the maestro, go out there and take care of biz. This kid is the real deal. Next up in the lightweight division, we got Devante King Cage Smith. He's ten and one, and comma worthy is fourteen and six. Currently, they got Devante King Cage Smith minus eight hundred. The comeback on comma worthy is plus five fifty. Well, I mean, check out <laughs> this kid. Comma is taking it on a week short notice. What kind of chance are you less, giving him here? Less than a week short notice. Look, I'll be quick with this one. Devontae Smith will not come a worthy out in less than three minutes and hopefully get his rebooking against John McDessey. Unfortunately, Worthy's going to have to pay for the sins of Clay Collard and McDessey. Uh, at least he'll get a second chance. Uh, I'll be excited, but the guy's been knocked out how many times? Five, five times by who again? Matt Bissett. My Matt Bissett and some other guys. And some like other that. guys. So, yeah, I mean, hold up. Let's just get down to the nitty gritty. Uh, Kyle Nelson and and Billy Quarantillo, the guy we saw get a contract on Contender Series. So Paul Felder as well. So you know, he, generally what I'm seeing is when he fights UFC fighters, he gets knocked out. Um, now some someone on the counter with me. You mean to tell me the guy that got finished by John Gunther? <laughs> <laughs> And look, I know he got finished by John Gunther, but hey, man, Gunther didn't get finished by Trezano or... Look, if they ever ran it back. (laughs) Shit happens out there, man. Uh, But yeah, Devontae Smith by KO in less than three minutes. Yeah, I mean, you mean to tell me that not only is this guy taking it on less than a week short notice and he has to fight Devontae Kincaid Smith, one of the fastest prospects in the lightweight division, but uh, this guy's also been knocked out stiff five times, including by non-power punchers like Matt Bissett. And basically with Kama Worthy, look, when the fight starts out, it's going to be like, hey, man, this kid's pretty good. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's he's athletic. He's big. It's like, okay, all right, I see why they signed him. And then as soon as he gets cracked one time, you're going to see all that technique go out the window. You're going to see a vicious, stiff, brutal KO here. I got Devontae Kincaid-Smith. And by the way, if he ever fought John Gunther again, he would mop the floor with him. (laughs) Next up in the middleweight division, we got Derek Brunson. He's 19-7, and and Ian Heinish is 13-1. Currently, they got Ian Heinish, minus 145. The comeback on Derek Brunson is plus 125. Well, I know they remember we cashed those nice dog odds on Ian Heinish against Antonio Carlos Jr., but the thing is, he's not taking on a jiu-jitsu guy this time. He's taking on uh, the guy that loves to charge you recklessly with his chin straight up in the air, Derek Brunson. And I and I know uh, Ian's probably got to be a little happy. I mean, it ain't just been this two fights. You know, firstly, he fought Cesar Ferrer, third-degree black belt, and... Uh, and uh, Shoe fa- uh, quit face, uh, his uh, shoe face, my bad. <laughs> quit face, uh, his last fight. 
But uh, prior to that, man, he was fighting black belts too. Daniel Madrid, Maluco, Perez. I mean, he fought like five or six black belts in a row. So now, you know, now we get to see Ian Hines in a real firefight. You know, generally he's been kind of holding back on the striking because when you find guys like Maluco and Madrid, these guys that are guys that can snatch your neck up real quick, you kind of have to hold back, man, you know, fighting off takedowns every fight. So I feel like this fight, there's a chance we see, the, you know, all of Ian Heinish's skill. Now he's fighting Brunson. Brunson got that win over Elias, and of course he wanted him to knock the ballerina out, but some, the ballerina's tough to knock out. Mejeda couldn't finish him. Well, I mean, Eric Anders couldn't finish him, you know. <laughs> Look, Elias is tough to finish. Now, even though the fight went the distance, you know, Brunson, you know, he used more wrestling. He showed a little bit more patience, I guess, but... Let's relax. <laughs> I, I like Brunson and all, but this whole... He sh he sh he, these hard knocks, 365, are, are giving him improvements. Look, Brunson's the same dog with the same tricks. The guy that's been taking all this damage throughout the years, the knockout losses to to, to uh, Israel Adesanya and... Among others. He did get the, no the knockout wins over at Leota Machida and Daniel Kelly, but Daniel Kelly's 40 years old, and Machida's 40 years old, and he was coming off a fucking length, uh, extensive steroid suspension. So, so, like, so real quick, you're saying the last time Derek Brunson fought a guy that broke shoe face, he knocked him out. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But anyways, like, look, I think that Derek Brunson is going to be the same guy that he's been throughout his entire career, the guy that, you know, I feel like, personally, I feel like a guy like him that's taken those severe KO losses like we saw his last fight, look, if there was a chance the bum rusher guy would have been his last fight, you know what I'm saying? The guy, that guy, fought a harmless <laughs> opponent. Fought a harmless guy with no threat to knock you out whatsoever. Like, that was your chance to fucking let it go. Like, Elias couldn't bust a great like straight up, like... Uh, so, you know, now he's fighting Ian Heinish, a guy that, like I said, we really haven't gotten to see his full game because he's been fighting these black belts. So here in this opportunity, uh, in this fight, I feel like Brunson, you know, I feel like you're going to start seeing him go away from that, you know, reckless, unless he gets really desperate, you know, unless he gets hurt, then he's going to have to do what he knows to get him a win. But I feel like initially, you're just going to see Brunson stand out there in space with his chin up in the air. And I think he's probably going to look to try to wrestle. Look, when you got a guy that's taken that many KO losses, look at his last fight he didn't he didn't that wasn't the same Brunson he was scared of he was Elias. scared he was scared of those Elias pity pat punches you know what I'm saying the guy's coming off a lot of damage guys so I feel like in this fight Ian Heiner's he's gonna use his feints and face from the outside and I feel like he's gonna probably try to cre uh, create chaos at some point you know keep it safe on the outside but when it's time to to uh capitalize on Brunson's chin up in the air use those big overhand rights that we saw him hurt Carlos Jr. with that we saw him hurt Cesar Ferrer with Brunson leaves a lot more openings I don't think he can wrestle Ian Heinish for 15 minutes. And Elias is not as strong as Ian Heinish, in my opinion, man. I feel like Elias is, I think he's just a good tactical player. He was a good bullshitter. <laughs> you know, he's a good bullshitter. Couldn't, he couldn't bullshit for too long, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Fucking, but I think... You, you know, know, the fans were more mad when Elias got cut than when John Lineker yeah, got cut. Yeah, it's crazy, you know. I don't get it. But anyways, man, uh, it's surprising to see all this action on Brunson just because those one wins. And, you know, yeah, he's got the more name recognition, but when you really look at his wins, his best, you know, knockout win is Uriah Hall. You know, we're talking he's got wins over Ed Herman, uh, Sam Alvey. It's really Uriah just a style Hall. for me, though. You know, I just think that he's a little overrated. I feel like he's always been overrated. I feel like if he does not knock Ian out, he will lose this fight. I feel like all he has, he's not going to win a decision in this fight, in my opinion. And I got Ian Heinish by second-round KO, so... Is it Derek Brunson or Derek Dunson? Because, I mean, it's one of those situations where 
hey, Derek, you fought Yoel, you fought Israel, you fought Rob, you fought Jacare. Here's Elias Theodoro on a silver platter. And to, to have that kind of performance where you stink up the crowd like that when you have a, what's it called, you know? A ballerina, a flailer. When you have a hand-picked gift opponent. I, I know it was a pick and this and that, but guys, it's Elias. Like, he's harmless. This was Derek's chance to go out there. It's like, Derek, if there's one fight where you can charge the guy with your chin straight up in the air and your sloppy striking and, and not be worried about getting countered, it's against Elias. And he didn't charge him even once. So it's kind of like, is Derek, uh, is he at the point now where he doesn't believe in himself to the point where he will not even charge these guys anymore? So, I mean, here against Heinish, Heinish has all the confidence in the world. And yeah, Heinish might also, you know, he, he might have a uh, you know, his somewhat quote-unquote sloppy tendencies just like Derek Brunson does. But at the end of the day, he's so much tougher. And, you know, when these two are in their gas state, I mean, the battle of wills is... I <laughs> you mean, mean to tell me Brunson is being behind us at a game of wills? <laughs> <laughs> Look, I mean... Brunson, you better knock him out is all I got to say. Uh, I think Heinrich is going to be fanning. I think he's going to get back up from the takedown attempts. I'm saying a lead high kick knockout for Ian Heinrich here. Next up in the featherweight division, we got Super Sodiq Yusuf. He's 9-1. And, and Gabriel Mowgli Benitez is 21-6. and six. Currently, they got Sodiq Yusuf minus 275. The comeback on Gabriel Mowgli Benitez is plus 235. Well, Shaq, uh, last time Gabriel Benitez fought, uh, we put five units on him to go out there and beat Humberto Bandanai. He took care of Biz in under a minute. Now he's got uh, quite the step up in competition. It, it ain't Humberto Bandanai anymore. Now it's one of the top prospects, Sodiq Yusuf. Uh, you think Gabriel Benitez comes out here and gets another big win? Gabriel has definitely come a long way since he's been on the Ultimate Fighter. You go back and look at some of those losses in the past. I mean, he's come a long way you know what i'm saying uh you know he's a southpaw that stays disciplined and kind of has the darren till approach you know he's only gonna throw a few specific type of strikes a straight left the straight kick whether it be to the legs the body or the head and uh you know he threw a left uppercut in his fight against Humberto ben and i so you know maybe he's uh broadening <laughs> broadening his uh, array of strikes it's all left side but shots. but it's he's all he throws is left side shots you know what i'm <laughs> saying and look that's because he's so good at all those left side shots javier mendez has said that mowgli's the hardest kicker in the gym over guys like rocco etc so between you and me rocco rocco was never the hardest <laughs> kicker <laughs> <laughs> never mind I'll get to rock code later with the yellow. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but uh, anyways, man. So, yeah, now he's fighting Sadiq, and Sadiq Yusuf is quite the prospect. I mean, the guy's only got 10 fights, but the talent level's super high. And, I mean, uh, like I say with African fighters, man, the Africans possess some of the greatest raw power that uh, <laughs> you'll see in the sport. I mean, we just saw it the other day with my boy uh, William Knight. Uh, oh, man. Uh, man that, guy, that guy's a fucking tank. <laughs> the guy's got no, doesn't has no idea what he's doing, but just the, his brute strength, his fucking will, his heart, he'll muscle his way out of anything and he'll knock you the fuck out. <laughs> so, uh, you know, those African fighters, man, they're showing time. And, uh, you know, the only one I cannot vouch for is Kennedy uh, in Jakku. <laughs> What about uh, Oluwale Bangboshe? No, he's not in the company anymore. But... <laughs> no, he was born in Nigeria. <laughs> that was a, a misprint. But, uh... <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I feel like Sadiq Yusuf in his fight against Mike Davis on Contender Series, you know, we can say that Davis ain't shit, this and that now, of course, but at the time... 
I mean, they were hyping Mike Davis up to a point as if it was he was minus Jesus. Yeah, I mean, against Sadiq Yusuf, you know what I'm saying? They were hyping that kid up to a point where, and Sadiq completely shut down shut down that and used those calf kicks as big power. He hurt Davis. You know, Sadiq, he's just a super fundamental guy. Now, when I was saying the raw power early, Sadiq's one of these guys where he's got the raw power plus the, the smarts, man. The guy's not an idiot. You know, he knows how to fight technical, you know? He knows how to... Uh, fight moving backwards, moving forwards. He knows how to clinch and tie up and wrestle as well. Now, after that fight with Mike Davison, which was one of the more high-level fights you're going to see on the Contender Series, he gets that fight against Suman Mokhtarian. And how did he treat Suman? Very accordingly knocked him out in less than a minute 30, I think it was 50-something seconds, I think it was, or... Then you take a huge step up, like I was referring to with Sanhagen earlier, these big steps up in competition. Mike Davis, Suman Mokhtarian... Shame and Marais <laughs> on the main card. Holy shit. Okay, so that you know, these big talent uh these pig uh step up in competitions and his fight was shame and look i feel like sadiq's definitely had a lot better days because you know of course he was fighting you know easier competition but look man he dealt with the tough fight it was i mean a lot of guys could have broken that spot i mean the first round he was able to just move forward be the aggressor use a, uh use the clinch use his size i mean like i said when you get close to one of those africans it's a little scary man you know what i'm saying and uh, and, you know, the second round was a little rough. Shame, uh, Shaman's got some good techniques on the outside with the lead elbows and the knees. And, you know, Shaman's really tricky from the, in the third round. You know, Sadiq, it looked like, you know, it was more of the second. But, man, he showed the mental. He stayed in there. And he uh, ended up dropping Shaman and, and getting the job done, man. That's a tough fight at a young age dealing with a big step up in competition. Now, Mowgli Benitez, on the other hand, we know what Mowgli being. When we look at his last five fights, we're talking, you know, Sam Cecilia. He did treat him very accordingly, finished him off, put him to sleep with that choke but then he fought El Forte Barzola and what happened in that fight he didn't like the pressure of El Forte El Forte was walking him down at will now he hit El Forte with a bevy of straights body kicks and El Forte walked him down the entire time but he kept he shows that's the hole in Mowgli's game when you saw Jason Knight when he fought uh, Jason Knight and you know Jason Knight's a nice guy he was number 15 at the time when they fought but Jason Knight was out there biting shit. He was out there with fucking ankle sleeves on. Didn't he miss weight too? Uh, he was, I don't know. He looked fat. He just looked, <laughs> he just looked like dog shit and he was looking like dog shit his entire, you know, after that too, you know. After Lamas, yeah. yeah. It was over. <laughs> it was over after Ricardo Lamas. And even in that fight, there was times where Knight would touch Mowgli and you could tell Mowgli feels it. You remember the Philly fight where he got knocked out? Look, he has a big tell when he's hurt and he smiles when he's hurt. You know what I'm saying? And anytime he smiles, that means he just felt a punch. So, and I saw him smile a lot in that Jason Knight fight. Now, he was able to, of course, easily pick Knight from the outside. Who can't pick Knight up from the outside? You know what I'm saying? And, you know, I think that's a good win, and I feel like Humberto's a good win, but I just feel like Sadiq Level's talent level is, oh my god, so much better than those guys. One would say that Mowgli Benitez could possibly be the best opponent that Sadiq has fought, but the fact that we got that experience against a big, hard kicker like Shaman Marais, I mean, Shaman landed head kicks on, on the side of his head and he kept moving forward, I feel like that prepares us good for a fight with Mowgli Benitez, a guy who I don't feel like is as tricky as Shaman Marais. Yeah, he's a little more fundamental, a little more disciplined. But I don't think he's got the chin to beat a guy like
like Sadiq Yusuf. I feel like Sadiq can walk this guy down very easily, tie him up to slow him down a little bit, and then let off, you know, with the punches and, and knock this guy out. So I got a lot of respect for Mugli Benitez, but I think Sadiq moves on and shows everyone that he is the real deal at 145 pounds. Yeah, look, Sadiq's calf kick game is really amazing, but I don't think it's going to be as big of a weapon here just because this is orthodox versus southpaw. So what I think he's going to need to do is tie Mowgli up a little bit, start landing knees to the thigh, maybe make the crowd boo a little bit. But once they separate, then he starts landing those big bombs. And like you said, Mowgli likes to smile when he gets hit. He's going to smile at the first one, but the second one's going to put him out cold. So I don't think he's going to be smiling when they bring out the, the smelling salts and the flashlight in his eyes. I'm going Sadiq Yusuf via highlight reel 50K performance of the night knockout. Now, shit's about to get real, my man, because next up in the middleweight division, we got Yoel, the soldier of God, Romero. He's 13-3, and and Paulo Costa is 12-0. and I mean, I don't even know where to begin. This is an unbelievable fight. So I just got to ask you off the bat, uh, is Yoel about to, is he going to come out here and get his first win over the new generation of middleweights? It's going to be a great fight, Yoel. We haven't seen him in a while since that second uh, Rob Whitaker fight in which a lot of people thought he won. We haven't seen both of them back since that fight. I mean, when you go through a fight like that, it changes you, and it changes you long-term, and I'm interested to see if Whitaker comes back the same as well. I mean, he got molly-whopped <laughs> towards the end of that fight, and Yoel, you know, he let Whitaker get uh, free shots on him. That's, he took a lot of damage. You know, he just sat back and let Whitaker tee off on him for three rounds. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And uh, that, that takes a toll out of you, so time to, to chill out, refresh. You know, these guys have been supposed to fight three times. To be honest, I feel like you should have fought Costa the first time, because all he's done is give given a guy like Costa more time to develop and turn into a monster look this guy costa was made to beat guys like yo romero you know what i'm saying they, they this, i feel like this is a, i don't want to say a tailor-made spot but you know i feel like at 44 years of age with two losses against the current champion robert whitaker especially the type of fights that both of them were you know what i'm saying a fight the first one he was up two to zero you know what i'm saying and then he lost the last three rounds and then in the last one you know the the finish was there and he couldn't do it. Fought Luke Rockhold, missed weight. And, you know, he missed weight for the, the second one as well. <laughs> I mean, you could kind of say Yoel's been a mess for a little while. You know what I'm saying? You know, he's had time to recover, so we'll see how it is. But uh, I feel like he's running into, you know, one of the bigger problems that the middleweight division has ever seen in a while. You know, and I know Paulo Costa really hasn't fought the level of opponents, but I feel like we say the same story for all, like, when Israel was coming up, for example. He hasn't fought anybody, though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Guys, just accept it. He's the new wave. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and you know, I, I like Lil Romero, but when you look at his style, we're talking about got a guy, a guy that likes to let guys literally crowd him on the fence, and he likes to just sit there, and he likes to bank on getting a KO. Now, when you're fighting Chris Weidman, um, what's his record in his last few fights? And can Chris Weidman take a punch the way he used to? Chris Weidman gets knocked out every fight. <laughs> Luke Rockhold knocked out every can't fight. Can't take a punch. You know what I'm saying? Of course Luke Rockhold was going to get knocked out. He's out here getting fucking his jaw broken again. Two fights in a row he's gotten his jaw broken. And you talk about these fights where against Jacare back in the day at UFC 194, you know, Yoel, the fight, the first round, he was able to win by that spinning uh, back fist. But the second and third round, I mean, Jacare was able to pressure him, back him up. And we're talking about a guy like Jacare. I feel like Paulo Casa's right kick alone is more of a, of a weapon than anything Jacare has. You know what I'm saying? That right kick covers so much distance. His boxing is better than Jacare's. We just haven't seen it on the level of opponents because... 
we're young, man. We, we haven't gotten the opportunity. This is our opportunity. This is our first opportunity against a big name. I like Yoel Romero, but I feel like he's tailor-made for a guy like Costa. He backs up. You back up against Paulo Costa, you are asking for fucking trouble. He's not going to be scared to, to like, like Luke Rockhold out there just trying to tip and, you know what I'm saying, because he's afraid to get hit. Paulo Costa is going to be in there digging to his body. Yoel has to catch up. Paulo Costa to win this fight. Paulo Costa will definitely outwork him in a three-rounder, you know what I'm saying, for a decision win, in my opinion. And I feel like with Yoel's age, don't be shocked if he gets knocked out. I feel like Paulo Costa, of course, he hasn't fought anything near this competition level yet. But I feel like with Yoel's past wins, those guys are nowhere near the athlete level that Paulo Costa is. He's got Eric Albertine on his side. A lot of action has come in on him, but I actually agree, man. I think Paulo Costa knocks out Yoel Romero and enters the conversation in the 185-pound title picture. No matter who wins this fight, something people need to understand is that every contender was once a prospect. Every champion was once a contender. So... You know, just because he's only fought Gareth McClellan. He beat Johnny Hendrickson Uriah. Oh, my God, he beat Johnny Hendrickson Uriah. <laughs> therefore, he has no chance in hell. And it's like, look, yes, he only beat Johnny Hendrickson Uriah, but he handled Johnny Hendrickson Uriah very, very accordingly. And let, let's bring this up real quick before you guys start disrespecting Uriah Hall. You know Uriah Hall is a guy that knocked out Gegard Musasi. You know Uriah Hall is a guy that knocked out Jocko. So, I mean, the guy's got power. And Boracina, I've never seen anyone walk down Uriah Hall like that, land every shot in the book, and then face plant him. It was vicious, man. Uh, it was a, uh, it was a systematic beatdown followed by a highlight reel KO. Look, I've seen Uriah Hall get caught before, no doubt about it, but I've never seen him beat pillar to post and then face plant KO'd like that. So basically, what it said was, okay. He's uh, past the Uriah Hall level. Now let's enter the top 10. Well, we are entering the top 10 top because, <laughs> because uh, <laughs> now uh, he gets to fight Yoel Romero, who is a demon, who's one of the scariest middleweights in the history of the sport. And and real quick, uh, I just want to address one thing before I forget. You know, people are mentioning, oh, you got rocked by Uriah Hall. Like, if you really want to bring that up, then you better fucking bring up that Yoel got rocked by Tim Kennedy. Okay, now that now that we got that out the way, let's break down this matchup. So basically, the reason we love Yoel so much, and I love betting Yoel as an underdog. You know, he's one of my all-time favorite underdogs because he has that ability. Chill, 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 chill. Here comes the third round. Let's knock the guy out. You know, he'll do something explosive in that third round. After doing nothing at all, we love him for it. Always has these explosive knockouts. And I heard his wrestling style back in the day was actually pretty similar. He would chill, chill, chill until he had to score his points. Get the win because the way his body's formed, if he if he pushes on that gas from the beginning, he will gas out. Like he he can't do that. So he's gotta maintain his energy. Know when to strike. And he's so damn good at it, man. But look, that last fight with Whitaker, you know, live had some some company, you know, was trying to act a certain way, acting like, oh, Yoel got robbed. But when I watched it by myself, look, the only round in question is round four. And let's really break down how round four went. Robert Whitaker teed off on Yoel Romero for four minutes and fifty seconds. In the last 10 seconds, Yoel Romero wobbled Robert Whitaker. So do you favor 4 minutes and 50 seconds of work or do you favor one punch that didn't even drop him? So I, I give round 4 to Robert Whitaker. So that means it's 48-47. Unless you're out here giving some of, the, some of those 10 eights to Yoel, which you could totally do. In that case, I could see a drop. And I love the guy. Like I said, he's come through for me many times at dog odds. And he loves, he has an affinity for that third round KO. But the thing here with Paulo Costa is that if he does not KO Paulo Costa... He's definitely going to lose the decision. I mean, he's going to get outworked. Now, the big question here is the, the caveat, the X factor. People are saying Yoel's 
Olympic wrestling. You know, go out there, take the guy down, ground and pound him. The issue here is that, first of all, Paulo Costa has an excellent get-up game. And second of all, Yoel Romero does not have the best top control. I've noticed in many of his fights where he gets beautiful takedowns, that inside trip is money, but he doesn't hold guys down. So I think even if he takes Paulo down, Paulo's going to get back up. And when they're on their feet and Yoel's trying to rest a little bit, man, he's going to start getting teed off on with big combinations. This hits the scorecards and Paulo's winning, but... Uh, I have a feeling this ends inside the distance, man. I love you all, Romero, but at some point, you're going to show your age. And I think this is the fight where that happens. I got Paula Costa via knockout. Co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division. We got Nate Diaz. He's 19 and 11. And Anthony Showtime Pettis is 22 and 8. Currently, they got Anthony Showtime Pettis, minus 125. The comeback on Nate Diaz is plus 105. Well, Shaq, on paper, this is a very exciting fight between two lightweights moving up to 170 as you got the former champion, Anthony Pettis, taking on one of the most exciting fighters in the history of the sport, Nate Diaz. Uh, who do you see getting their arm raised on Saturday in Anaheim? The two names alone. You got to watch this fight. Showtime Pettis, former world champion, Nate Diaz, one of the most polarizing guys in the sport. Like we just said, the guy has sparked up a... You know, uh, a nice little, uh, nice little join at the uh, open workout yesterday, man. He, you know, he does things like that. Now. He passed it to the fans, you know what I'm saying? Man of the people. <laughs> you know, he's looking out, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, you know, a lot has changed since the last time we seen him. I mean, the last time we saw him was UFC 202. You, you want to know what was going on at UFC? You know, matter of fact, uh, let's let's show you what was going on at UFC 202. Rick Story was still in the UFC at <laughs> UFC 202. Colby Covington was your just typical undercard fighter at UFC 202. Uh, he beat Max Griffin that night. That was Max Griffin's debut. Uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson knocked out Glover to share that night. Uh, man, a lot has changed. So you're saying that. it's been a long ass time <laughs> it's since he's fought. Been a long time since we've seen Diaz, you know. And a lot has changed in the, uh, you know, a lot of has changed in the sport. I mean, Showtime's fucking. Up at 170, you know, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, man, but obviously, man, we know this is going to be a great fight. Now, historically speaking, the, the way to beating a Diaz is what? You know, fucking low kicks, calf kicks. We've seen guys in the past definitely damage him, Benson, RDA, but Pettis, we know, he doesn't really have that type of kicking style, in my opinion. You know, he, he's got more of the flashy, the cartwheel kicks and fucking, you know, kicks more oriented up towards the up towards the head instead of low now of course you can easily switch it up and you know if they're smart and use the right game plan and like we saw uh with mcgregor in that second fight look the second that second uh, mcgregor fight came out and he threw and he was starting to throw low kicks me and you looked at each other like oh fuck <laughs> he got us <laughs> i didn't think the motherfucker was gonna throw low kicks but uh, you know that's the key. That's the key to beating both Diaz's. So, but like I said, I don't think Pettis has that kicking style. What I would be more worried for Diaz is kind of something similar to the Josh Thompson fight. You know, him getting caught with the kick upstairs. Look, Diaz fights with his hands down in the pocket, and his durability is so good. But generally, when you look at his last few fights, we're talking about these punchers. We're talking about guys like Michael Johnson who are gonna you know stand right in front of him. Conor McGregor, the first fight. Uh, let's not forget Conor McGregor was fighting up two weight classes, coming from 145. He hadn't had the the 155 fight yet in the UFC. He was coming straight up from 145s. Uh, Diaz was able to use his size. His durability is fucking on point. He ate those shots that no one else at the time could eat. And uh, he was able to tire McGregor out. And we know what happens when McGregor gets tired. I mean, what happens every time McGregor gets tired? I mean, <laughs> Except now, the rematch. <laughs> I mean, now he's losing bar fights to old men, you know? Now he's resorting to knocking old men out in bars and shit like that. So. Uh, the old man didn't go down. <laughs> He can't even knock out old guys. <laughs> He's lost that left hand and yeah, got that Connor's same a touch. Fraud. <laughs> 
But uh, yeah, so, and when you look at AP on the other hand, I feel like we cannot forget, you know, when we're looking at this fight with Diaz, we cannot forget that a lot of AP's trouble really stemming off the wrestling. We're talking about when guys shoot on him, hold him down, fights like Dustin Poirier, you know, Dustin didn't just come out there and put pressure on him. He, you know, he took him down first, you know, Eddie Alvarez took him down. The only two guys that did not take him down were Tony Ferguson and, uh, Max. Tony did uh, take him down, <laughs> uh, but uh, Tony Max and Edson Barboza, and when you look at most of Showtime's losses, they're against championship guys that have held that have held a championship at some point in their careers. Now Diaz, I feel like a lot of the things on Diaz are are really based off the these fights with Conor McGregor in specific. You know, now he did have the win over Michael Johnson, but. You know, I've said in the past I like Michael Johnson, but on the on the given day anyone could be Michael Johnson. You know what I'm saying? I know he knocked out Dustin. I know he he knocked out T. Ferg. I know he knocked uh, beat Edson Barboza, but he also lost to Miles Jury, raising my daddy Darren Elkins, Ted Worthington, James Krause, uh, Paul Sass, <laughs> and a bunch of a bunch but of. He beat Tony and Dustin. <laughs> but he beat Tony and Dustin. But like I said, on the you don't know what to expect from that motherfucker on the given day. But you know those are good wins for Diaz, and Diaz has shown. That he's the better boxer than Pettis by far. Pettis can't box, in my opinion. But Pettis has shown that he's the better kicker. So it's going to come down to who can get off on their games. Now, like I said, Pettis' issues a lot come from stemming off the wrestling. Generally, in these fights where straight stand-up, he has wilted in the past, like against Max Holloway and T. Ferg. And those guys come with a serious amount of pressure. Now, Nate Diaz does come with that pressure sometimes. But sometimes he also struggles a little bit eating too much shots, he'll get cut super easy. Pettis also gets cut super easily. But it's just like I'm basing all of this off of one, of, of one fighter, Conor McGregor, you know what I'm saying? I've only seen Diaz two times in the last few years. Conor, yeah, he matches up a, sp- a specific way with Conor McGregor. doesn't mean he's going to... I don't know how it translates in 2019 to to Anthony Pettis. Now, Anthony, I actually liked his last performance against Wonderboy Thompson. You know, a lot of people are saying it's a fluke, but I actually thought Pettis fought smart. I felt like, you know, he, he shelled up while... Uh, Wonderboy was throwing all that little pitter-patter on the outside. He got cut in that fight as well. But, you know, look, that was a perfectly timed counter. And you can say what you want, but Wonderboy went the fuck down in the second round. That ain't no fluke to me. This fight just comes down to can uh, Nate Diaz, can his legs still take the punishment? Can the, Is his durability the same as it always has been. If his durability is still the same, if he can still eat a head kick, if he can still, if his legs can still take the the type of punishment that you got to be able to succeed at this level of the sport in 2019, then I feel like, yeah, maybe his boxing can break Anthony Showtime Pettis down like we have seen in the past. We've seen Nate come after guys like Conor McGregor. That's it. <laughs> and Michael Johnson. Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, yeah, you know, he, he definitely beat Cowboy Cerrone, but that was in 2011 or 10, you know. <laughs> Cowboy was a stud back then. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But uh, it's a tough fight for me to predict. I slightly lean Nate Diaz, but I also feel like there's a chance where he is, you know, a little step behind after these uh, after this time off. He has taken a lot of damage those last two fights. I do think he is the overall better fighter here. I actually think he could even possibly take... Uh, Pick Pettis down. I saw him take down Josh Thompson in their fight. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he also got on top of Conor McGregor as well. So I wouldn't be shocked if he did that as well. But I'm not sure 100% to to really judge the caliber of fighter he is because we're basing everything off one look against Conor McGregor and Michael Johnson. You know, we haven't really seen much of him besides that. This is his typical pattern. He likes to come off these big layoffs and, you know, peek his head in here, get a win. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He kind of likes zombie in that sense. So I will pick him for the win. But uh, I feel like it's a, I don't want to say 50-50 fight, but I'll say like 
48 Diaz, you know. So you're saying there's some value on him? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I feel like if you take that shot, you know. So it should means, be a pick em is what you're saying. Yeah, by all means. But, you know, sometimes when you get these type of lines, they play out one-sided. We'll, we'll see what happens. I definitely think the fight's going to play out one-sided. You know, people are saying that AP, AP has to knock him out to win, you know. It's because uh, Diaz throws the more punches. He throws at a higher rate than, uh, than Showtime Pettis, but... You can't forget that, you know, when Diaz goes to the decision, he's a whopping three and nine. You know what I'm saying? You know, decisions are really, honestly, uh, Diaz, you know, <laughs> they're generally not good for Diaz, brother. So it's an interesting fight to me. You know, it's interesting to see people see it so clearly one side. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. But, again, like you said about Pettis, a lot of the issues he's had has come from wrestlers. And I feel like that's the same thing with Diaz. You know, when Diaz is out here going to decisions in striking matches you saw him win the decision against Cerrone you saw him win uh the decision against Michael Johnson and maybe could have arguably got it against Connor but it was close so when he's up there with strikers uh I mean as of right now he hasn't been quite getting blown out the water it's just when you mix in wrestling now everyone's talking about this kicking game of Anthony Pettis and obviously his kicks have gotten him into the position he's in. I mean, the guy jumped off the cage, kicked Benson Henderson's head into the fifth row. We'll all remember that highlight for the rest of our lives. Joe Lozon, even Benson the second time with the body kicks, Cowboy Cerrone. I mean, he's kicked a lot of people very hard in his time, Shaq. But what I want to bring up here is that when you when you talk about this fight between Connor and Nate, and you talk about how the leg kicks were so effective, that was southpaw versus southpaw. Benson was southpaw versus southpaw. Here uh, with AP, although AP does have the ability to go to Southpaw, as you've seen in some of his other fights, does he have the ability to fight the entire fight Southpaw? That's what I want to know. He's going to have to be switching stances here. I believe he probably will come out Southpaw, try to kick that leg a couple times, or maybe go orthodox and, and go for that inside leg. But if he's trying to go for that inside leg, it's going to be way harder to chop than if he goes to the Southpaw stance and starts working on that calf. You know what I'm saying? So I'm very curious to see what stance uh, Showtime comes out in. But, you know, we can mention how uh, Diaz has been gone for three years. No doubt that's 100% true. We also got to mention that in those three years, uh, Pettis has been finished three times. Brutally. Viciously. Like, badly. And we're talking about the kind of stuff that Diaz would never do ever inside the octagon. Let me tell you what I mean. When's the last time you saw Nate Diaz tap to a body triangle? When's the last time you saw Nate Diaz not answer the bell between rounds? When's the last time you saw Nate Diaz take a knee in the middle of a fight? Do you understand what I'm saying? The answer is never to all of the above. So I just think there's a massive difference in the mentality between these two. And I actually do agree with this notion that um, Pettis has to finish the fight to win. We'll see what happens. Look, if he hits the scorecards, you're right about that three and nine. But I feel like a bunch of the ones that were on the nine side were a bunch of wrestlers. And that's not going to be the case with Pettis. Pettis has to land something big here. And he totally can. We've seen Diaz get caught with a high kick before. Even though I know Showtime is going to fight nothing like Josh Thompson. The way Josh Thompson fought, we all remember the high kick, but I remember the actual fight. And it was an embarrassment. I mean, Josh Thompson was running away from him the entire time. You know, Nate uh, got tired of you know, running after the guy. Josh Thompson closes his eyes. He says a prayer. He lands a lucky head kick. Look, if if Anthony lands one, it's not going to be lucky. It's going to be the real deal because this guy is known for going out here knocking guys out with all kinds of kicks, Superman punches. Uh, man, he put Wonder Boy out cold, but uh, Diaz brings a kind of different pressure than Wonder Boy. Diaz has a lot more volume than Wonder Boy and a lot better hands too. So 
I think he's going to be eating a lot of kicks in that first round, but if he does not get knocked out, I think he's going to start to put that volume on Showtime. And it's going to be like the Poirier fight when he's up against the fence, he's going to get teed off on. It's going to be like the Tony Ferguson fight when he's up against the fence, he's going to get teed off on. It's going to be like the Max Holloway fight when he's up against the fence, he will get teed off on. Nate Diaz will tee off on Anthony Pettis. I see him winning the second and third round, out-voluming him with the boxing and winning a 29-28 unanimous decision. Main event of the evening. For the heavyweight championship, we got the champ, Daniel Cormier, DC, he's 22-1. And, and the former champ, the now challenger, Stipe Miocic, is 18-3. Currently, they got Daniel Cormier at minus 135. The comeback on Stipe Miocic is plus 115. Well, Shaq, I mean, it's easy to say that Daniel Cormier is going to come out here and knock him out in the first round. But historically speaking, those uh, title rematches tend to go a different way whether it's the same guy winning it might just be a different method so how you see this one playing out between uh, two of the greatest heavyweights of all time seems like Stipe Miocic is still in denial and I feel like he's showing signs of the typical former champion that just can't accept it to be honest you know I feel like his issues is honestly mental in this matchup you know look you're saying the guy got lucky you're saying you were winning the fight you're saying you know you can just see the embedded episodes, and you know he's he, it just he's making this a little bit too much too more personal than what he should. And you see DC being the calm nice guy. He he thinks it's funny, you know what I'm saying? But skill wise, look the first fight going into the first fight, people were saying you know Stipe's too big. So like we were thinking that the size was going to be a factor, and Stipe had been knocking everyone out. I mean he just beat Francis fucking Engano, fucking <laughs> holy shit, you know what I'm saying? He Stipe. beat the guy that it's like a Ford Escort. <laughs> It was everyone thought this was a lock. I mean, he just beat Francis. I mean, you seen that guy? <laughs> but Cormier just showed, man, that Cormier is like one of those ultimate competitors. You know, I put him in that group with the Cejudos, the the uh, I put like uh, you know uh, Usman, the Covingtons. You know those guys, huh? Jones. Jones. You know those guys that compete. You know those guys that just. They just don't lose. They don't even lose rounds half the time. You know what I'm saying? Like these guys, though, those wrestlers, man, they uh, they compete in a way. They got that mindset, and I don't feel like Stipe has that mindset. I feel like Stipe he is D1, though. Um, but not Cormier D1. Nah, Cormier's Olympic. <laughs> Cormier's Oklahoma State. We're fucking. Um, you know, I feel like Stipe. You know, while while he was champion, I'm not going to discredit his champion because his champion he was the guy that knocked out Fabricio over Doom. But guys, you know, I don't ever want to discredit wins. But go pull up that tape. What the fuck was Fabricio? He was running at him with his chin up in the air. He pulled a punch. <laughs> like he pulled a stunt, and Stipe, you know, just stuck his right hand out there and knocked him out. You know what I'm saying? And then uh, his fight with uh, with uh, Overeem. In Cleveland, you know what I'm saying? He got, don't forget, he got dropped two, three times in that fight. You know, a lot of people say Stipe tapped. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people say Stipe tapped. And, uh, you know, he was able to not be the, what, 15th guy to knock over him out. You know what I'm saying? And then he uh, gets mashed up with JDS coming off a fucking layoff, you know, who was coming off one win over Ben Rothwell. Before that, he got knocked out by Overeem. Uh, Molly walked by uh, Cain Velasquez. Had a tough fight with Stipe Miocic, you know what I'm saying? He was able to win that fight. And then, uh, you know, he beat Francis Ngannou. And look, they say Francis Ngannou wasn't training at all. I mean, they, they say the guy was 
taking flights out to France. And I mean, the guy had French powder in his nose, <laughs> and we're going to sit here and act like a... They said the guy was missing all his treatment appointments at the, the PI. They said, Francis is there. Well, we don't know where the hell Francis is. And look, Francis had to pay the price. He, the shit got to his head, and now you see he's a little more focused, and now you're seeing him knock guys out in less than, you know, uh, setting records for quick knockouts. So now I feel like uh, Stipe Miocic is very chinny. I feel like he leaves his chin up in the air, but I feel like he always had that volume boxing style in an age where the heavyweights cardio would fail on them really quick you know Kane wasn't in the picture when Stipe was making his uh, title and Kane was already half retired you know and like I said I kind of feel like he caught these guys on the end you know they get that one over Francis but I feel like Francis low-key secretly damaged his chin now <laughs> I know he survived that fight but when you look at some of the shots that he took in that fight and then you look at his following performance against Daniel Cormier, of he, was he got knocked out in the first round. <laughs> he was leaving his chin up the entire time in that fight. Generally the shots that he would get away with, he couldn't get this time because that durability is not the same anymore. He's getting a little older. That's how the fight game happens. Now Cormier is also getting a little bit older. But Cormier at light heavyweight Besides John Jones and the Gustafsson fight, generally his fights are one-sided. You know, quick Derek Lewis, easy finish. Uh, Volkan Ozdemir was a, a second-round finish. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson easy finishes you know in some of his fights he really didn't necessarily take that much damage so I actually think he's got the durability edge in here I feel like he's got the cardio edge in here you know we saw Stipe get really tired quick in that first round he was leaving his head you know hanging low in the clinch and boom he was asleep and just the fact that he hasn't gotten over mental this kind of reminds me of this is just a tip. It's like Joanna and Rose uh, and Rose Namajunas. You know what I'm saying? They they they're like, what? Well, but you didn't really win. You didn't beat me five rounds, though. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's how you tell a real champion you got to beat me five rounds. Knock me out again. And that's exactly what's going to happen uh, here on Saturday night. I feel like Cormier is too fast. He's got the mindset over advantage. Kind of similar to Cyborg and Amanda. You know, she's so shook of the other one. <laughs> like, and I feel like Stipe's brave, of course, man. He's going to show up to fight. But I feel like deep down there's an underlying issue when it comes to Daniel Cormier and his head. And I feel like it'll come to, to play on Saturday night again. I just think that... He hasn't accepted it the way that he should have. You know, if he would have been like, Cormier got me. If he didn't really make some of these personal attacks on Cormier, you know, he accepted the loss. Uh, kind of like how McGregor, like McGregor and Nate Diaz. You know, we saw, what did McGregor say in that first interview after he was like, he got me. I'll be back and I'll, uh, and I'll bounce back like the champion that I am. And this, this is before Conor was beating up old men. <laughs> this is before This is before the cocaine, you know what I'm saying? It's before the bus incident. <laughs> bus incident. It's been I just know, in my history, when guys really haven't accepted and they're making all these stupid excuses they usually lose again and i think that's what happens again but i think this time it'll probably be a third round knockout steve will put up a better fight i mean yeah he's gotta put up a better fight this time yeah. so uh but i gotta go with daniel cormier by knockout look i got a ton of respect for both of these guys obviously steve miocic set the record for most title defenses in the heavyweight division's history and not only that i mean the guy's a firefighter you gotta respect him for that family man you know, all these things. And with Daniel Cormier, I mean, you can say the same thing. He's out here coaching high school wrestling, one of the best programs in Gilroy, California. So these two are real studs outside the cage. But inside the cage, Daniel Cormier's got a big mental advantage here over Stipe Miocic. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're so right about how Francis ruined Stipe's chin, even though we can bring up how Stefan Struve knocked this guy out and how no guy that got knocked out by Stefan Struve is beating Daniel Cormier in a fight. But... It was really the Francis fight that put the icing on the cake and really diminished his chin from, you know, in the video game, if he's got a 90 on the chin, <laughs> now he's got a 75, you know what I'm saying? So, 
And then he fought TC and he got knocked out in the first round the very next fight. So basically now's the rematch. And I mean, if you hear Stipe talk, I mean, the guy's punch drunk to a point where, I mean, DC and Francis really messed this guy up. And now you're telling me he's going to come back out here and be champ again. I just don't see it happening. I, I understand people taking the shot. I mean, I understand where you're coming from. The lines flip uh, to where it was the first time they fought. But I mean, you see why, right? Uh, one guy knocked the other guy out into the fifth dimension. And I think that's probably going to happen here too. I mean, I know rematches don't always go like the first one went, but these are heavyweights, man. These guys hit so damn hard. These guys have something to prove. I got Daniel Cormier knocking out Stipe Miocic again and still. And now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minute. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, it's going down this Saturday. The heavyweight championship is on the line. How's it going? Hey, not too bad, man. We got $100,000 up top on DraftKings this weekend, so I always love chasing those. Um, and this is a pretty solid card, so I'm looking forward to watching it as well. Now, real quick, break this down for for us on Half the Battle. When you say 100 k is the top prize 100 k or is it a 100 k pool? 100k to the top prize. It's $300,000 pool, uh, but $25 entry. Either somebody will win 100k, or multiple people will tie and split that 100k. But they'll split, you know, first, second, third, whatever prizes are, however many people it is, they'll split that many prizes. So it'll be one hell of a payday for whoever wins this thing. So pretty much whoever has the perfect lineup here, the optimal lineup, as they like to say, uh, is about to change their life forever. Exactly. But I mean, we got how many is it? It's about 14,000 entrants in here. It's only 12 fights on the card. If you want to win a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to have to do something different. You can't just go with all chalk and expect that you're going to be the only person with that lineup and hit a hundred K. You're going to have to be weird somewhere um, or leave a lot of money on the table. Definitely need to be contrarian if you want to win a hundred thousand dollars solo, but somebody's going to do it. Well, off the bat, I gotta know: Are you gonna be contrarian? Are you gonna be contrarian on this main event between Daniel Cormier and Stipe Miocic? Uh, you going with the defending champion, or you think the former champion has a chance at the upset? Uh, well, it won't be contrarian either way because this is pretty much an all-in fight. Uh, you're gonna need one side or the other because of their salaries: uh, eighty-five hundred for DC, seventy-seven hundred for Miocic. Whoever wins, they're gonna pay off that salary for sure, and they're probably gonna score a hundred or more points. Um, so whoever you like, they need to be in a lineup for sure. Um, you can start your fights here with, I mean, your lineups here with this fight. Uh, my preference is DC. Um, I like him. He just has more ways to win his wrestling. We saw him get the knockout last time. He scored 112 in that one. Uh, so I, I definitely like that kind of upside. Um, he could go out there and do it again. Um, so I do prefer him, but it's, I mean, it's not like by a ton. So what I've been doing, I've been like putting DC into lineups and then, building around that and if i want to move up somewhere real bad i've just gone down from dc to music and then moved up wherever else i wanted to um so it's it's just going to be an all-in fight every pretty much one everyone every one of my lineups is going to have this fight one way or the other i'm guessing i'll be like 60 40 in favor of dc but i haven't built all my lineups yet um i just know that the winner's going to score high and i'm cool stacking this in cash too you know give me my 100 plus points and a win um and I'm, i'll take that in terms of the betting line, do you think it's accurate or do you think it should be a little bit wider? I think it's pretty accurate. Um, yeah, I'd say I'd say it's pretty spot on. Co-main event in the evening, you got Anthony Pettis taking on Nate Diaz at 170 pounds. We know if Pettis comes out here, gets some kind of head kick knockout, that's going to score a lot. On the flip side, if Nate Diaz lands over 100 significant strikes, that's also going to take care of biz. So uh, which way are you leaning? Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think 
Pettis is going to need the knockout to score like super highly and lock himself in for that 100K. But Diaz can get there in a decision. Um, and I mean, shit, his ground game, he can get, I like his ground game more. So he can get the submission as well. I don't think, I don't, he's not getting like a one punch knockout thing, but he could put volume on Pettis where he just makes him quit, um, score highly that way as well. But yeah, Diaz has got to be my preferred play here. When he wins, he scores, man. He usually scores over 100. He had 149 points against Donald Cerrone and with just significant strikes, no takedowns or anything. Um, so that's crazy volume. I love to target that. He's only 7,900. So he's probably one of my favorite dogs of the week. Um, and I'm going to pick him to get the win here, but man, we haven't seen him in three years. So we really don't know what kind of Diaz we're getting or how motivated he is. So I'm not against taking some Pettis too. Maybe he will go out there with uh, that heavier power at 170, go out there and get a knockout. Um, and he will be lower on, I'm guessing, because Nate Diaz is the bigger name. He's cheaper. So I'd assume Diaz might be like almost double the ownership of Pettis here. And I don't think he's that much of a lock to get this job done. But I am going to take him as my preferred play and my pick to win. A lot of people are calling this a potential fight of the night. So what's your opinion of the stack in DraftKings? Oh, uh, no, nah, I probably wouldn't stack this over the main event. Um, we don't need to get that cute. I would rather just go ahead and put Nate in solo if you want to use this fight because I wouldn't trust using either one of the main event guys solo uh, because you could get a zero from whoever that is. I don't, I don't think, think that's, that's the case, case in this one. Well, Kyle, I have a feeling that the winner of this next fight might be on the optimal lineup because we got Yoel Romero taking on Paulo Costa. Yoel, one of the most prolific finishers in middleweight history, taking on a guy in Paulo Costa who looks to rise to the occasion this Saturday night. The question is, will he do that and get the biggest win of his career? If he does, I would say he's going to be a lock for that 100K lineup uh, because he's only 7,600. And if he wins, it's going to be by knockout and he's going to have a lot of volume in there with it. So... I'd say he's one of the locks to win. I mean, to be on the hundred K if he wins as an underdog. Um, but man, this is this is the toughest test by far of his life, and I can't pick him over Yoel at this point. So I'm going to lean with the favorite here. I just think he has more ways to win, kind of like DC, where if he uses that wrestling, I think he's going to put Costa out on the ground with some ground and pound, uh, and that's that's the most successful and least dangerous path to victory. So you might as well do that. Uh, but these guys hate each other, so maybe he's going to want to go out there and brawl with this guy. And if that's the case, I mean, he's probably going to have to put him out with one punch because Coast is going to put up higher volume. Um, he could get the one-punch knockout as well. Um, I'm just relying on UL going for takedowns here, and that's why I like him. But, yeah, like you said, whoever wins, they're going to score high, and they're probably on the 100K lineup. It's just not a lock for Yoel to be on it with a win. He could go out there and score 86 points in a win. Whereas Costa, I don't think there's any way he's going to score 86 on a win. He's probably 100-plus. Um, so it's pretty much all in, but I'll take Yoel as my preferred play. Last but not least, in the featherweight division, you got Sodiq Youssef taking on Gabriel Benitez. And once again, I have a feeling that the winner of this fight has a very high ceiling. I mean, I think they're going to go out there score a lot of points. Uh, do you think the favorite Sodiq Youssef rolls here? Yeah, man, I'm impressed with Sodiq. I like him overall as a fighter. Um, looking forward to his ceiling in this sport. I think he has title contention ahead of him. Um, and, yeah, I like him in this fight, too. I, I think he has a big edge on the feet. I think he's probably going to get a knockout in this fight. The only issue is he's $9,300 on DraftKings. Uh, that's pretty high, and it's it's so high that we're really needing the knockout from him at that point because if he goes out there um, and scores 80 like he did in his last fight in a decision win, that's not going to do it at 9.3K. Um, 
but I do like him here. I do think he gets the finish, probably scores about 100 points. Uh, I'll just say I do like Devontae Smith a little bit more for 200. So like, if I can't get, get if I can't get up to Devontae, I'm, I'm totally fine with sticking with Yusuf. But I would prefer to find that $200 somewhere else and get up to Smith because I feel better about him getting the first round finish. But yeah, man, I'm looking forward to this fight. I think Yusuf is a stud. And then on the other end, I mean, Benitez, he's live if this fight can hit the ground. Uh, I don't think he has a whole lot of a chance on the feet. But if he can get this fight to the ground, maybe he could even get a submission. He's super cheap at 96, I mean, at 6,900. I don't see him being too highly owned. So maybe he's a solid contrarian play. Uh, But yeah, my preferred play here is Yusuf, and I'll, I'll pick him by second round knockout. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. It's going down this Saturday. In Anaheim, they can follow you at Big Marley 3, and your bets and your write-ups are available at bestfightpicks.com. Yes, sir. It's been a popular week already. we got a max bet out there. I just sent my write-up your way. Um, head over to Best Fight Picks and grab those. Let's make some money this weekend. Good luck, everybody. Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC 241? My fight to watch actually is going to be Sanhagen versus Sunset. Look, I know it's going to be a technical fight, but look, if this kid Corey Sanhagen comes in here again and beats another one of these top, you know, perennial top five, six, seven guys, I mean, holy shit, you cannot deny this guy. You know, he's talking about he wants to be in that interim conversation with Jan and, and uh, Aljamain Sterling, and I I got to agree with the guy. So, And if Asensio gets this one, hey, he's back in the picture. Yeah. Like, hey, 37, I'm still doing this shit, buddy, so sleep on me still. But, you know, that's my fight to watch. Yeah, look, my fight to watch is Paulo Costa versus Yoel Romero. I mean, this could be a changing of the guard type fight, but it could also be Yoel Romero coming back and showing, hey, I'm still the number one contender in the UFC middleweight division, but I think here with Paulo Costa, we might be looking at a new force, a new contender, just a new generation type guy so for that reason paulo costa versus yoel romero is my fight to watch well Shaq, who's your fighter to watch for ufc anaheim my fighter to watch is going to be sadiq yusuf i mean this guy is quite the prospect at 145 pounds and now he's got a tough fight with gabriel mogli benitez on his hands and gabriel man he brings it every time a very tough mexican and you know i feel like they're trying to fast fast track sadiq now he's on the main uh main card on a pay-per-view first it was you know uh main card in australia main card in philly against shaman marais now main uh main card pay-per-view look this is a they're trying to this is prospect versus uh veteran night i mean San Hagen Asuncao, Heinish and Brunson, you know, uh, Costa. Costa and Yoel, even even Yusuf and Benitez is prospect versus vet. So, you know, I feel like this is going to be a good night. But uh, Yusuf's my fighter to watch. I've been high on this kid for a long time. And I want to see if he li- continues to live up to the potential. Yeah, look, my fighter to watch is Ian Heinish. I mean, this is the biggest opportunity of his career. He's opening up the pay-per-view. And if you think that they're trying to get Derek Brunson a win here, uh, you've lost your goddamn mind. So basically what this comes down to, the reason he's my fighter to watch is because, hey, man, here's Derek Brunson coming off all these knockout losses. Show us what you can do, man. Are you really this top prospect, top contender that everyone's saying you are? If you are, go out there and handle Derek Brunson accordingly because going to decision, a very close one with Brunson, won't let us know that you're that top guy. So if Ian comes out here and knocks him out, he's going to show why he's opening up that pay-per-view. And for that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, it's going down this Saturday in Anaheim, California, UFC 241. They can follow me at Best Fight Picks. They can follow you at MMA Genius 05, and they can get our bets 
at bestfightpicks.com. Make sure to use that promo code Shaq to save 10% off of Shaq's individual package. Looking to cash these bets this weekend. I should be releasing these bets pretty soon. We're looking to get the win for UFC 241. Yes, sir. That's the plan. So once again, thank you so much to all our fans, all our supporters. We truly, sincerely appreciate every single one of you. Thank you guys so much for everything you've done for us to get us to this point. Make sure you subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere else. We will be back soon. BestFightPicks.com for the plays. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.